This morning's reading is taken from Psalm 19, reading verses 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Seth is going to come and talk to us. We were reflecting that God was a bringer, but I think Seth is, Seth is a bringer too, isn't she? I think she always brings me encouragement. She always brings wisdom. I'm really looking forward to hearing her speak this morning. Let me just pray for you. Lord, we just thank you that you have blessed Sepha uh, with wisdom and with encouragement. Lord, and as she has studied your word and in these past few weeks, and she's going to bring it to us this morning, I just ask that you bless her and you bless her words to us. Speak through her, we pray, in your name. Amen. Good morning. It is amazing to see so many of you here at church and to see it full. I'm really excited um, to be sharing God's word with you. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sefa. I've been here for about five years. I apologize. I know I'm not in my usual place. I know I'm normally up there. It's a bit weird that I'm down here, but I am excited to be sharing God's word with you today. When I was asked to preach a few months ago, I said, how bad could it be? You're about to discover, so <laughs> bear with me this morning. But I'm excited to be preaching about this incredible verse and about how, as church, we are for God's glory. Now, some of you will remember a few weeks ago, Kev had spoke to us about creation, and he put up a whole load of incredible images at creation at its glorious best. And when he asked that question, what's the most glorious thing you've seen? This was mine, and this is the view from the top of Mount Fuji, looking over Tokyo City at sunrise about four years ago. I remember hiking up that mountain over 18 hours or so with my baby brother, and sitting on a rock just in time, tired, exhausted, a little bit hungry, but quite impressed that we had made it to the top on time. And to see the sun breaking forth in the horizon and the light dancing across the sky, my camera doesn't do a shred of justice to how incredible the view was that day. And at the time when I was sat there looking at this view, there was nothing in me that could deny that we had an incredible God, that he existed and that he created all of it, including the exhausted bodies that had by some before. Today's passage tells us about the endless testimony the heavens give how they are relentless and consistent in giving God glory. The writer of the psalm wants us to know that creation itself declares that God reigns, and that's pervasive, like the sun, in the same way that there is nothing on earth that can escape from the sun or the effects of the sun. 
Regardless of whether we acknowledge it or not, there is nothing that can escape from the pervasiveness of our ever-present God. Paul takes this image further in Romans 1, verses 19 to 20, when he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Like King David in Psalm 19, Paul wants us to know that apart from being utterly beautiful, God intended creation to teach us and inspire us as to what it looks like to put God on radiant display. To help us understand this, he gives us two pictures. The first picture is the picture of a groom on the morning of his wedding, getting ready, excited. And the second picture is of an athlete. And hopefully there'll be a picture of Usain Bolt on the screen I'm guessing that at some point, most of us would have seen Usain Bolt run a race. I um, found this picture online. I think it's hilarious because he looks like he's going for a very leisurely jog next to the people either side of him. But you can't deny that um, these Degrassi and Uja are putting in their absolute best to try and pip him to the gold and exerting all of their effort. And David wants us to understand that in the same way the sun has got this all-consuming intensity and Degrassi is expending all of his energy to try and beat Bolt to the end of the race. That is the same way that we can give glory to God. So, what is glory? The dictionary defines glory as to hold something in higher renown or honor or magnificence. Some have even described it as the manifest presence of God. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, the word for glory is kavod. And kavod is a word that is broad. It has a whole ton of meanings. It means weighty and heavy. It means wealth and reputation, quantity, splendor, dignity, and all those things that glorify God, witnessing to his beauty and his radiance. This week, as I was preparing, I thought it would be a good thing to go through my Bible and look up all the definitions and meanings of the word glory. There are a lot. It did take me a long time. Um, and all of those definitions fall broadly into one of three categories. And so that's going to be how we look at glory today. Glory as something that we experience, something we declare, and something that we carry. So in the Old Testament, there are about 16 occurrences of the word glory to do with things that we experience. And a fair amount of these are people's experience of God in high places. So if you know your Old Testament, you might think of Moses going up on Mount Sinai where the cloud descends on the mountain. And Moses is described as coming back down from the mountain and his face shining like the sun to the extent that he had to put a veil on because people couldn't bear to look at the brightness of his face. You might think of Isaiah's prophecy about God in his temple, enthroned with his robe filling the temple and the aroma and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy God. Or you may think of Ezekiel, who describes God's glory as the coming of many rushing waters. In all of the different experiences people have in the Bible, there is one thing that remains the same. Every single time somebody has an experience, and from that point on, their life and their walk and their relationship with God is completely different. They learn through their experiences that God is a God of dignity, holiness, and authority. And God makes his godness known to them through these experiences. 
Now, for people who don't do church, don't have faith in a city like ours, the closest we may get to this might be when Liverpool or Everton, depending on your particular tendency, win a match and there's a parade. Or you're in the stadium at the moment where the last goal goes in and everybody gets up and screams and shouts because you believe that your team is absolutely undeniable. They are the best. They cannot be stopped. They are completely unbeatable. That complete awe-inspiring, all-consuming goodness, that is an experience of glory, the glory of a team. And that's similar to some of the experiences that the people in the Old Testament talk about. And their experiences give fire to the things that they go on to declare about God. So our second thing, God's glory being something that we declare. We get to use our mouths and our lives and our actions to give God glory And in doing so, we inspire and encourage those around us to do the same. We get invited into what the sun has always been doing, which is putting God on radiant display. Most of the other passages I looked at in the Old Testament fall into this declare category, and a lot of them are in the Psalms, like the Psalm we read today. The Psalms have been described as Israel's songbook. They're the things that they sang and the songs that they carried and the ones that they taught to their children. And in the Psalms, you see so many statements like these. In Psalm 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. And in Psalm 72, Blessed be God for his wonders. May all the earth experience his glory. Now, one of the things that I love about getting to lead worship here is that we get to declare God's glory together as a community. I think it is such an important part of what we do. And as a church here in St. Andrews, we have a ton of things to give thanks about. We've got a whole load of things that we can point to and remember about God's goodness and faithfulness through the generations. In the Old Testament, what the Israelites used to do to remember God's goodness is that they would dig a well in a place where God had provided. Or they would build an altar where there was a big battle and something had been won. So that as generation by generation by generation went past and they went to these wells or walked around these altars, they would remember how good God had been. They would gather and they would tell the stories of, do you remember that time when David killed Goliath with a stone? Or whatever the story was, they would gather and around these wells and altars and talk about the way that God had been incredible to them. And we may not build wells or altars in Liverpool. We might be looked at a little bit funny if we went down to the dock and started digging a hole on the dock road. The council probably wouldn't thank us. But the songs we sing serve the same purpose. A lot of the words in the songs that we sing help us point back and remember those times that God has been good to us. They are a version of our wells and altars today. And as I was preparing this week, I came across a song, and I'm just going to share a little bit of it. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to leave the singing to Simon today. Um, But it says, there is no higher king. There is no higher throne. Majestic and eternal, his kingdom stands alone. There is no other rock we build our lives upon. We rise and give him honor. All praise to him belongs. So many of the songs that we sing encapsulate the heart of the goodness of God. And it is the, one of the biggest joys in my life that we get to come together and declare those things together as the church of God. So the final way we're going to look at is carrying God's glory. And this picture that's about to come up is my baby brother. Well, he's not, he's not really a baby anymore. 
He's ever so slightly younger than me, but I like to call him my baby brother. And this was us again at the top of Mount Fuji, and he's got his backpack, and it's full of flapjacks and candy bars and Lucasade and all the other things that you might take if you're going to climb a high mountain because you don't want to collapse and you're scared of being too hungry like me. And like my brother carrying this backpack at Mount Fuji, we have the opportunity and the privilege to carry God's glory with us whenever we go. And our ultimate example of this is Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he embodied all of those things we learn about God in our experiences. He always pointed towards God the Father, and he carried the most excellent things of God's kingdom with him. John 1 verse 14 even describes Jesus as the manifestation of God's glory. And so our relationship with Jesus makes us carriers of his glory, which to me feels absolutely ridiculous. When you go back to the Old Testament, God's glory was, was said to have resided on the Ark of the Covenant. So if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it was this box that the Israelites built. It was made of acacia wood. It was covered in gold. It had two cherubim on either side. And between these two cherubim was something called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where God said that he would meet his people, that he would let his presence dwell and his glory would shine forth from that place. Now, in the times of Eli, the Israelites and the Philistines had a fight, as they often did in those days. And on this particular occasion, the Philistines won and the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken to Philistine land. And the Israelites were absolutely beside themselves because the glory of God had left with the Ark. But how blessed are we that God doesn't reside on an ark in some distant land far away, that we don't have to go hunting down a box made out of acacia wood to find the presence and glory of God, that actually instead of God being in one place and one location, he chooses to use you and I as his vessels to be his presence out there in all the places that we go, to carry his glory to the places that we live, we work, we serve. I just can't really wrap my head around the fact that God would choose to use us like that. I think it's completely mind-blowing. And with that, with each encounter and experience we have of God, we are transformed into better carriers of his glory. Together, we are transformed into the bride of Christ, beautifully adorned and ready to be in deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus bearing his image in all the places that we go. So, let's go back to our passage. King David has set creation up as a teacher for us. And what is it that creation teaches, about, teaches us about God's glory and putting him on radiant display? In the passage, the heavens and the sun point to God. They declare things about him. They tell us that he is divine. They give us what's described as a never-ending testimony. They do not stop just by the way they exist. When we look at the heavens, we are stirred to thinking about the God who created them and made them all. We may conclude that God is consistent, that he is radiant, inescapable, and sovereign. And in our pondering, when we look at creation, we are invited into deeper relationship with a glorious God. In Exodus, when Moses was asked to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and through the desert for all of those years, one of the things Moses would say is, God, I'm not going to go if you go with me, and I th unless you go with me. And I think that is an invitation for all of us. I know that when I'm preparing to lead worship, for me, that is the most important thing, 
God, will you give me a revelation of who you are? Will you give me an experience of you? Will you help me see you afresh? So that when I stand up there, I've got something to declare. I've got something new that I've learned about you this week that I can share. And in doing so, I hope that the declarations that I bring and all of us bring as we lead from the front inspire the rest of us to also bring our own declarations, to add our own words, our own worship. And in doing so, little bit by little, we become more and more So what does this church have to do with God's glory? When we talk about church, for some of us here, we'll think about this building that's usually quite cold, but is quite warm today, which is really lovely. For me, church is the gathered people of God. It's the place that I hope and expect to meet God's manifest presence, often in the faces, hands, eyes, embraces of all of you wonderful people out here. To me, the church is therefore much bigger than any building that we could possibly be in. And a few weeks ago, when we started this service on church, is Andy Paul spoke to us about all the different ways that the church is described. He said, we are a family, Christ's body, his workmanship, an army, living stones, salt and light, his flock, a temple, branches on his vine, a wind turbine, and the gathered people of God. But perhaps my personal favorite picture of the church is a city on a hill. In Matthew 5, Jesus speaks about how we are salt and light, how you wouldn't light a lamp and then stick it under a bowl, and that salt that has lost its saltiness is only worthy for the fire. We are called the city on a hill, a city with a vantage point, not just to see what's coming, but also to be seen. So imagine with me that we're in this city on the hill. All the lights are out. It's a little bit dark. It's really quiet. And Andy Paul walks out his hand, house and he sticks his torch in the air and brandishes the light towards the night sky. And then Kev comes up and says, yeah, do you know what? Go on then. I'll stick my light in the air too. And then maybe Kerry sees them and get inspired. And then maybe Helen, maybe Charmaine and Lou and Blair and Amanda. And one by one, we all put our lights up and brandish our lights to the light sky. It would be an incredible sight to see all of those lights ablaze with their different colors, torches, lanterns, phones, fire pits, every single kind of fire and light we could ever experience. It would be absolutely incredible. And we would see things with, that we didn't see with each additional light. Every time somebody put on their light, they would illuminate something that we wouldn't normally see. That is the church inspiring itself to put God on radiant display to stoke in us the ways that we can give God glory, like the sun racing from one side of the sky to the other every single day. So let's go back to the city, except this time Andy sticks his light in the air and I walk past and go, light's a little bit rubbish, you know. And then perhaps Cy walks past and completely blanks him and Claire goes, oh gosh, I can't be bothered with this. And one by one, all the citizens of the city walk past and Andy stands there with his light in the air all night by himself. Now, we might call that a valiant effort. In private, we may say that he's a little bit stubborn, maybe a little bit silly. But in doing so, we as citizens of the city will have chosen to discourage instead of inspiring, to diminish instead of declaring. And the truth is, each and every one of us has the option and an ability to decide what to do with the glory of God. 
we can choose to see and acknowledge it in our communities. We can choose to recognize it in each other. We can choose to testify about God's goodness. Or we can choose to be discouraging, unengaged, and indifferent to God's glory in us, around us, and in our fellow citizens of the city. So, how can we at St. Andrew's exist for his glory? Well, I think the first thing that we do is we meet like this. We meet as church. We get to experience all of those three definitions. We get to experience God when we meet together because we know, like we were worshiping this morning, that God has a desire to meet with us on a personal level and as a group together. We, together, when we sing songs, when we preach, when we encourage each other, we declare the togetherness of those. We become better carriers of his glory. But what else could we do? Now, at St. Andrews, we're very good at making lists about things. And we would often start this list with, here's a list of things that we do really well. But today, I want to challenge us to start this list in a slightly different place. Perhaps we start today with you and with me. What would it look like for you and me to seek God in a way that gave us new experiences of him? What would we as individuals have to change to make room for that? What would it take for you and me to commit to giving God the glory he deserves and actively inspiring faith in the fellow citizens of this city? Might we need to change the attitude we bring when we meet to worship and pray and live life together? Might we need to prioritize this and put it in our diaries? Or to use our words to intentionally challenge each other to turn our eyes towards Jesus? Are we willing to declare the glory of God, even if it means being the only one stood in the street with our light brandished towards the sky? And once we've figured those out for us as individuals on a personal level, we can then start asking those questions about our family our missional communities, the community around us, us as St. Andrew's Church, and then the global church as a whole, giving thanks for things like the network and other groups across our city who are already doing incredible work of demonstrating God's glory. I think there's one other thing that we can do. Returning back to the images of altars and wells, we can choose to build new altars and dig new wells in each and every season. We gather around those experiences and we gather them together, those that we have on a personal level, in our families, in our communities, in network, in the CR, in food bank, in pantry, in church. And when we gather, we choose to point to the recent and the ancient ways that God has been good to us in an intentional way. And in doing so, in big and small ways, we become better carriers for his glory as he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. Now, I know that life in church has been difficult, tricky, tiring for lots of reasons. And this can sound like, great, Seth has just given us a whole long list of other things that we need to do. And that is not my intention this morning. But perhaps we take this as an open invitation to jump headfirst into joy, beauty, and glory. In the words of my favorite gym instructor, you don't have to, but we do get to. We do get to join in part of the amazing thing that creation has been doing long before any of us even walked the earth. And that is putting God on radiant display in everything that we do and in all the ways that we can. 
we can continue to inspire each other to turn our eyes towards Jesus. In the psalm, David talked about a groom, and there's a picture up on here. And again, it's incredible. And I always feel it a little bit awkward looking into this really personal moment that this person's having at the altar. This groom, we assume, knows what he's getting into. He knows that he doesn't have to, but he knows that he gets to. It's a choice, it's an option. And it's something that he gets to jump into. And we expect that he will give his whole life to it. And that if he doesn't, there'll be a part of him that's ruined. He is an expectant member of the I get to. So, as we round up, let's think about the different ways that we can perhaps respond to this. Perhaps you've never met God before. Perhaps when we did these little post-it notes, you could never point to an experience. Or perhaps the experience that you pointed to was so long ago that it's actually more like ancient history. If that's you today, as we worship and we declare God's goodness together, I encourage you to come down to the front so that some of us can pray with you that you may have a new experience of our great God. The second thing we can do is declare where the wells and altars are. And for those of you who wrote something on your post-it note, that's exactly what you've done. You've identified a well or an altar, a time where God was good and faithful. I encourage you, if you've not written down something, to write something down before you leave and share it with somebody that you've not spoken to today before you leave or share it with somebody this week. Let's be people who declare, declare God's glory. Perhaps your declaration is to speak to somebody who you've seen putting God on radiant display and encourage them to use your words to build up another citizen of this city. And the final way we might respond this morning is to think about the different places where we may carry God's glory. This church, our families, our friendship groups, our workplaces, our communities, and think and pray about how we can be God's glorious light in those places that he may increase and we may decrease. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your heart's desire is to meet with us, that we will have experiences of you, not just ones that are ancient, further, further and further away in our own history, but that we would be able to experience you today, here, now, in this place. And Lord, we trust that meeting you face to face will change us forever. And so we invite you to come and do that with us now, Lord. We open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you and our hearts to comprehend where you are, Lord. We want new, fresh experiences of you so we can dig new wells and build new altars in every season. Lord, give us courage to be people who declare your word in different places and different seasons. Give us courage to be the person standing on the street with our only light varnished towards the sky. Give us courage to encourage other people to turn their eyes towards Jesus. And finally, change us more and more into your bride so we can put you on radiant display everywhere that we go.